1: Hey, this is Jen Pilcher, Navy spouse of 23 years. And when I'm not helping military spouses connect in our digital community, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. (laughs) I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what is overthinking costing you? Personally, I go out of my way to never overthink anything. In fact, I find the less I think, the better. But overthinking might be costing you time, creativity, and your goals. To help you understand the costs of overthinking, join me in welcoming John Acuff. Plus, did a year of COVID affect your retirement? Today, we'll share the results of a recent study on the topic with John Boroff, Director of Retirement Income Solutions for Fidelity. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline, and I'll share some riveting trivia with you. And now, two guys you could stand to think a lot more, it's Joe and ojjjj
0: thinking about donuts that's what i do every wednesday hey everybody welcome back to the stacky benjamin show i'm joe sulci High average joe money on twitter and here to celebrate hump day with you it's my co-host mr og
2: wednesday this year is flying do you feel like it's flying dude
0: yeah when i found out the first quarter was over i'm like didn't we just start this thing i thought i thought the year just
2: began and now we're a week into april it's crazy
0: baseball season Good news is though my fantasy baseball team last place already. undefeated still. Bam! Oh no oh, no 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 no! We are rocking the cellar already early in the year.
2: Hey, you can come back from
0: it. I'm from Detroit, so I have to replicate what the Tigers are doing. That's my my whole goal. Did it snow
2: on your opening day? <laughs> it, did, it did
0: not. But to open today's show, we not only have John Acuff, the John Acuff. That's big money. I did he
2: know what he was getting himself into the second time
0: i, I can't believe that he said yes again but you know there's that fool me once fool me twice thing we fooled, just check it we apparently fooled him twice john Boroff from fidelity got a great show coming up for you so let's get into it let's roll on the headlines
3: hello darlings and now it's time for your favorite part of the show our stacking benjamin's headlines
0: well, in just a second, we're going to find out how people did with their retirement planning. But some good news on another money front, OG, during the year of COVID. Americans trimmed their credit card debt during pandemic thanks to the stimulus. Stephanie Asimkos wrote this piece. Americans whittled down credit card debt and paid their bills on time more often during the pandemic, according to new data thanks largely to government lender largesse and curtailed spending. Quote, the ongoing financial support for households, limited ability to spend the same during the pandemic as prior to it, and the widespread availability of payment relief for borrowers have led to lower credit card balances and much lower delinquencies than we'd expect this time last year. Greg McBride, Bankrate's chief financial analyst, told Yahoo Money. That's some good news, OG. People uh, apparently ran out of things to spend money on during COVID. According to Greg here, what are we going to do now? Well, I guess we might as well pay off the
2: bills. It's uh, probably the wrong order of things, but at least we got to it. That is some good news there for people.
0: Obviously, this last year kind of separated the nation in two, didn't it? People I know were either doing fantastic or they were doing awful. Uh, There was really no middle ground.
2: It's kind of a weird year. Still kind of a weird year. It's a never-ending weird year.
0: For those who carried credit card debt, a separate study by LendingTree found that their average balance fell 10.4%. Went down, yep. Yeah, from
2: 8,178
0: to 7,324 in February of this year. That's good news. Difference of 854 bucks. Man, you look at the average interest rate on a credit card OG. Just, I I think that people don't realize
2: what a 20% interest rate means. Well, for us when we you know were kind of up to our eyeballs in debt i remember i remember the number being somewhere in like the 15000 range we were making zero progress on it you know making the minimum payments and all going to interest and all that stuff but the straw that broke the camel's back for us was we started using mint and uh, we're tracking not just the balance because the balance doesn't show all the details but the but the interest and then the payment and, you know, and so you'd see like it went down and then went up and then went down and went up and then went down and went up and, you know, kind of a- along the way. And then at the end of the year, then we, you know, run the report of like, where did you spend your money? And it's like, okay, we had, you know, our house payment and we had our food and we had, holy crapola, $4,000 in credit card interest, you know, and like you you, you don't see... Exactly how much that is. It's just the same thing like when you have those discussions about the 30-year mortgage versus 15, or you know, should we invest the difference and what's the it's a low interest rate and all that stuff? All that's fine to talk about, but it's still a crap load of interest. It's still thousands and thousands of dollars that is providing almost zero value. I know there's like value you're using leverage, and you can have buy a home and all that other sort of jazz, but when your payment's a thousand bucks at eight hundred it goes to the bank. That is a lot of money. That's $10,000 a year that goes for interest, you know? So I think it's helpful to pull that out so you can see it.
0: I've been reading a book for an upcoming interview we're doing with a gentleman, a high school teacher named Jake Cusino. Uh He's got a new book out called How to Adult, and we're going to be talking to him soon. But he begins the book with interest. I mean, he believes so strongly that you need to know interest from the beginning. But it's cool. He presents it as this double-edged sword. You... Me too. I was in this boat, as you know, as, as well, you get slammed with interest, but man, if you can get excited about the other side, like think about this $4,000 of interest you paid. If you can turn yourself into the person getting paid $4,000, bam, that's where you want to be.
2: Yeah. And it's not, certainly you're not going to go start lending money at 20% like the credit card people do but i oh, see I do. You, 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 you do <laughs> i've been meaning to talk to you about a loan
0: i got Cheryl out there with a baseball bat going from house to house later hey you haven't made your payment
2: collecting yeah could you yeah. see
0: could you see Cheryl
2: walking up the bat would be bigger than she is i
0: was going to say for people that don't know my spouse she's like 5'4 <laughs> yeah
2: but having the interest, I I, I see what you mean. You, what you're meaning is using that compounding on your side. You know that four thousand bucks in credit card interest is like two thirds of your Roth IRA payment yeah. for the year. If you can pay that to the bank, you can also invest that. You know what I mean? So if, if it's already part of your cash flow, it's already coming out. Like once you can get on the other side of it, then that four thousand bucks goes in. The first year you're only going to make four hundred bucks of interest but the next year you're going to make $800 of interest and the year after that you're going to make you know 1200 and I can keep adding 400 for a really long time. I'm really good at it.
0: <laughs> Super exciting. Well, no, but it compounds too, right? So it's going to be
2: more than that. I, I can't do the compounding part. Don't, don't like, Come on, don't. man. Come on. Well, it's 400 then it's like 840 and then I'm lost. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. It's so exciting to be
0: on the other side and uh and yeah, even you know, we took out this uh mortgage on our house. And I look at the payment and I continually, continually am strategizing about how do we do this quicker? And of course, I was the guy that took out the mortgage, right? Because of the fact that interest rates were so low, still drives me crazy. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just refinanced ours and I want the bank out of my life so badly that we are in the, we're in the same spot but different <laughs> like you know cuz we did the 15 because my daughter will be in college in 15 years so it works out great for us from a cash flow standpoint but I don't want to pay house payment for 15 years. I want to pay house payment for like 6 or 3 or some number. But there's the other side of that too which is like all right, do you want to take all this extra money and put it on the house? You know, this is an ongoing struggle. So we kind of do what we you know, we kind of drink our own Kool-Aid. What we tell clients to do, which is just plan it out in advance, make the decision one time. You can spend it, you can invest it, or you can pay off debt with it and put percentages to those things which are important to you, you know, 20, 40, 40, you know, 40, 20, 40, or what you know, whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. But then you only make that decision once. So my wife and I sat down, we made our here's what's more important to us investing, paying down debt, having fun money. We have our percentages, and anytime there's extra money, that's how we come up with the extra. So we don't have to actually think about making that decision every single solitary time there's a bonus or every time there's a yeah you know, a little bit extra money.
0: Yeah. I love the automation in that plan. And in our second headline, Fidelity Investments is out with their annual study on the state of retirement planning. And this year's a lot different than most years because coming off of COVID and hopefully coming out of this dark tunnel we've been in. We're hoping for some good news, but also wondering what did this last year do to your retirement plan? Now, originally, and we said in the open that we were going to have John Boroff here from Fidelity Investments, uh, we have had some technical issues getting together with John. However, good news is, and to pull the curtain back a little bit, we waited till the very last second <laughs> to see if we could get John. We could not. And our good friend, Doc G, who looks at this stuff and thinks about this all the time, from the Earn and Invest podcast
3: joins us to talk through this Fidelity study. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm glad I could step in here, obviously, to to big shoes, but I'll see what we can talk about It's here. like the bottom of the ninth that you're pitch hitting, to use a yeah. baseball analogy, you know? Joe, I'm always here ready to be your pitch hitter. <laughs>
0: So let's start off with this study in general and in the last year, from what you see here from the Fidelity Numbers doc, does it look like the last year impacted people's retirement plans?
3: Well, you know, on a first glance, for sure, I mean, 82% say that events of the past year have impacted their retirement plans. Look, when we're in the midst of the unknown, it scares the heck out of us. Right. So when we don't know what's going to happen with this pandemic, when we don't know whether we're going to lose our job or not, when we don't know what's going to happen with the stock market, we have a lot of short term fears. But retirement is a long term game. And I think that's when you see numbers like this, you have to take them with a grain of salt, because when we're in the midst of hardship, it's hard to know what your long term plan is going to look like.
0: We saw so many people lose their job or they had the threat hanging over them of losing their job or maybe they didn't lose their job but they lost a percentage of their income. You know, I was talking to a friend and everybody at the business he works at took a 30% pay cut through the pandemic and now they're just talking about in the next couple of months going back to full salary because things are moving again. Luckily, nobody got laid off because everybody took a pay cut, but they all had to really tighten the belt. This is going to be really hard for some people to see, and it's not universal because the pandemic was, was not kind to anybody, but I don't know. I see a lot of good things in this study.
3: You know, if you're not right at the edge, right? So if you have a little bit of safety, if you have a little bit of money saved up, when you hit what feels like hard times, it makes you cinch up the belt. And that's scary at first. On the other hand, when you cinch that belt and realize that you can wear it comfortably on a tighter notch, it teaches you what you really can and can't get along with. And I think a lot of people have come past that time of cinching up their their belts and now they can relax a little and they're saying, oh, maybe my life was a little bit better in order than I thought it was. Maybe my retirement plan can stand some stress and still survive. And in a sense, that gave people some confidence.
0: They had this phrase when I was in military college, that that doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And they kept telling us that where I was sure I was going to die every <laughs> I was. <laughs> I, I, I was sure these people were going to kill me. But listen to these numbers. 36% of people are now even more confident in their retirement plan than they used to be. And more people feel like they have a financial plan than thought they had a plan beforehand. And and generally, by the way, I mean, well, and even before we get to generally, this was a hugely stressful time for a lot of people. I look at this study and they looked at stress here. Let me give you some stress numbers because this 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 clearly was stressful. But 40 percent of people were worried about paying their monthly bills April of last year. So we're what, a month, a month and a half, two months, depending on where you are into this thing. If you're in the United States, 40% of people, four in 10, don't know how they're going to pay the monthly bill. That's a big number.
3: Yeah. I mean, it was a scary time. And if you think about what was happening during the pandemic, if anything you did was directly person-facing if you were working in a restaurant, in a store, if you had clients that you had to visit face-to-face on a regular basis, you felt like your livelihood was at risk. And this was really even before we totally adapted to the virtual landscape that we're now comfortable with. So it's not surprising. This was one of those events none of us saw happening and it changed the way we do business and the way we work fundamentally. And so you can look at that four in ten worrying about not being able to pay their bills. On the other hand, kind of surprises me that at that time it wasn't an eight and ten. Right, right. Yeah, me too. And and that number, by the
0: way, still is ugly today. It's now three in ten. It's thirty-two <laughs> percent. That's not a great number, but certainly you can see that coming down. Maintaining your nest egg in retirement stayed the same thirty-five percent a year ago to thirty-six percent today. Paying for a child's education largely stayed the same. I think, I think for people. Doc, when I, I don't know, when I talk to people, you're either set for your kids' college or you're not. There is no, yeah, we're like 50% there, right? You either have that game plan covered or
3: you're hoping and praying that they get scholarships. It's like the kind of pregnant thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> You're yeah, never kind yes. of pregnant. I, I tend to agree with you on that. It's either, either people throw their hands up in the air and say, I'm never going to manage this. And then their kids go 100 percent loans or figure it out themselves. Or they're like planning since their kid was really little and have already been stacking up money to pay for those bills. The big number that went up over the last
0: year, affording healthcare cost in retirement, that went from 37 to 42 percent of people stressed about that. I imagine that's got to be that we saw this health crisis all around us. And now the fact that we might have a health crisis in retirement doc more in our face than it used to be.
3: Yeah. This was both a financial and a health crisis all at once. So it was a double whammy. So that's not surprising. Again, I'd almost say I'm surprised more people weren't afraid about their future health care costs. You know, the upside of that is when you have a crisis like this, there is much more likelihood that there'll be systemic changes to society that will pay for some of those issues. So when everyone is suffering from this fear of how are we going to pay for healthcare care costs, it's much more likely that there'll be legislation that helps, you know, fill the gap. Fidelity went
0: into like they do every year, planning. And if you have a plan, how do you feel versus if you haven't planned, how do you feel? 56% of people with a plan feel very confident they'll be able to retire when they want. 30% of people that don't have a plan feel that way. 43% have greater peace of mind despite market volatility. 26% of people without a plan. 40% of people have greater confidence now than before the events of last year if they have a plan. 30% don't. Uh, People People with a plan feel they have control over their uh, over when and how they'll retire at uh, a third of those people uh, versus only seventeen percent of people without a plan that stuff doesn't surprise me that stuff makes sense to me here's the part that I think is very interesting. They looked at four different groups of people they looked at people just getting started, people between six and thirty years from retirement, people in pre retirement and people in retirement. And the big aha they had, Doc, was that you don't have to plan everything. Like like this definition of having a plan, if you're just getting started, you, you just, you're you just planning how you're going to set up your HSA, about how much money you need to put into the 401k plan or into your Roth IRA, how much money you should put into an emergency fund. Like like your planning is not as comprehensive as some money geeks think it needs to be. When you're in pre-retirement, it has to be, you got to check all the boxes But certainly when you're getting started, all you have to know is your contribution, your target asset mix. When you're pre-retirement, you need to know those things. Plus your retirement age, your retirement income, your retirement expenses, like it needs to be more fleshed out. That I found exciting.
3: I think it comes down to this idea of the unknown. I mean, we fear the unknown. And when it comes to our finances, if you've done zero planning, it's incredibly scary. But especially if you're young, a retirement is far away. I think if you've just done some basic thought about it and done some basic planning, it goes a long way. Like our brains say, "Okay, we get this. We're going to have to fill in the details as we get closer. But I think that jibes well with this data. It's breaking the seal and learning something, putting at least some sort of plan together at the beginning, which really helps our
0: anxiety. Well, big thanks to uh, Fidelity for sending us this to us. Uh, Fidelity has a suite of retirement tools and you'll find that at fidelity.com for people that want to see this and want to see more of their tools. Doc G, we can find you at the Earn and Invest podcast, which we've got this episode today. What do you guys got coming out tomorrow?
3: So we are talking about psychedelics. So you thought everything going on with cannabis in the world today was interesting. Well, there are a group of people who feel like we should all be taking psychedelics oh and the amazing things they can do for our health. So t- we are oh going to be talking about this with Lynn Marie Morsky. It is a fun conversation. <laughs> I bet it. I bet it's a fun conversation. It's it's trippy.
0: <laughs> Big thanks to Doc G for stepping in there. And uh, being our pinch hitter, OG, you know, not surprising that uh, people with a plan came through it better. Shocking. Yes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe not that shocking. You know what else isn't shocking, OG? Uh, uh, um,
2: taking a bath with a toaster.
0: <laughs> I heard that's very shocking. It's that's, That will light up your life. Uh, very quickly, don't don't uh, try that at home, kids. No, something that I think a lot of people don't know is that uh, working with a credit union pays dividends. We talked about earlier paying dividends. Talked about getting a plan. Working with a credit union, if you aren't working with a credit union, can give you so many different advantages. And at Navy Federal Credit Union, they don't just serve the Navy; they also serve the Army, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, Coast Guard, and even the Space Force. So. No matter where you're at in your military career, or if you're retired from the military, they offer the products and resources to help you navigate your finances. We talked earlier about paying interest out to people, but if you're not paying any interest and you're paying your credit cards in full, Navy Federal has the More Rewards American Express card, which gives you three times points at supermarkets, food delivery, and gas, plus one point on everything else. Enjoy special perks and points you can redeem for cash, travel, gift cards, and more. Cheryl and I going first class to Japan to visit my daughter this fall Nice, using reward points. But don't play that game, peeps, unless you pay your cards off in full every month. Plus, earn bonus points. Learn more about how you can get $25,000 points a $250 value when you open a Navy Federal More Rewards American Express card today. Visit navyfederal.org for more details and to apply. It's sure by NCUA. American Express is a registered service mark of American Express used by Navy Federal under license. I think that the lessons from our headlines number 1 is having a plan, less stressed, a lot less stressed if you've got your financial plan in place. Good place to start, OG. And I also love what Doc G said there too, and I want to reiterate this. If you're in your 20s, you don't have to plan everything, right? You don't get to go, oh, I don't know what year I want to retire. No, just plan how you're going to get started. Just plan. Do it. Yeah, yeah. Get Because moving. you're
2: not going to be at the spot where you can do all of this stuff all at once. You can't probably, you're probably not at the spot where you can max out your 401k, max out your spouse's 401k, max out your both of your Roths, max out your HSA. Max out your dependent care reimbursement. There's there's so many different, pl- you know, and your brokerage, there's too many places to put money and not enough generally money in the beginning of your career, but you can organize how you're going to go about it.
0: And it, Yeah. And a good plan can be just order of operations. Hey, I'm going to use the HSA next. Once I get my yeah. credit cards paid off, I'm going to use that money to go into the HSA or whatever it might be, you know, just ha- have a plan. It's okay to be a little foggy. And then second is uh credit card debt probably a good idea to get rid of that interest and start working on having other people pay you interest so you can get that money instead of paying it out to somebody else. John Acuff is the New York times bestselling author of seven books, including His most recent Wall Street Journal bestseller, Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done, we interviewed him for that book. He's an Inc. magazine top 100 leadership speaker, spoken to hundreds of thousands of people at conferences. You see him all over the place. He lives outside of Nashville, Tennessee, with his wife and his two teenage daughters. We're going to talk to him today about maybe overthinking a little bit. OG, how do you stop overthinking and get moving? John Acuff, coming down to the basement. And joining us in the basement, it's our old friend John Acuff. How are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me, man. Well, I'm so glad that you could be here talking about soundtracks. And it's funny, I, I paid my way through college as a as a DJ. So you talking about soundtracks, about money, and mixtapes? Were you a
4: big mixtape guy? Oh yeah, of course. I wasn't good at them. Like the transitions were always awkward and there was probably like clips of a radio DJ, like, and you know, like I didn't have a bunch of albums. I had to wait till the radio station play. Like I was trying to like hawk off a Casey Kasem. So, just, yeah, those are, just those those are tough
0: dates You'd use two fingers and
4: you'd press it just at the right time on that recorder. I had an amazing, my favorite mixtape of all time that I listened to that I'm sure was moody I went to Europe right after college and it was a yellow Sony Walkman cassette player. And I, it got stolen at the peace and love hostel, which did oh, not no. feel very peaceful or love. No. Yeah. I don't know where it, somewhere in Europe. Some, I don't know, Bulgarian person is just rocking out to my emo-ish mixtape. <laughs> sure. Still today.
0: You know, they are They're today because it was the best tape you ever made. And uh, I
4: really feel like I crushed it. If, now I'd probably go back in here and be like, this is just 11 Cure songs. <laughs> like, there's really no mix whatsoever. Maybe one Smith's thrown in. Yeah, just to just to be like old school. Yeah, yeah. Right. A little a more, see? Yeah, exactly. We're just a little gray.
0: Was that a true sign of true love, by the way? You know, to Jenny, did you give her a mixtape and that was when you knew that it was probably the real thing?
4: No, I'll tell you, like, with Jenny... I'm such a late adopter, dude, on technology. Like, I started my own podcast this year in 2021. I was like, I should do a podcast. So, like, I'm a late adopter. I didn't really even understand Napster and LimeWire and all those. So, on eBay, somebody was like, 40 bucks, I'll put whatever songs you want on a CD. I was like, that's amazing. I had no idea that they were just selling idiots blank CDs that they burned for in like 30 seconds. Like, I, so I bought. I don't know. This is like 1999. I bought a CD with like 20 songs. Like, this is crazy. You're not going to believe what you can get on eBay. And Jenny was like, actually, I mean, like, You just paid $20 for Napster. You're like, you're the only person who paid money for Napster. I was like, oh, that's, that takes some of the shine off it. It could have been worse though. A lawyer from the recording association could have come knocking on your door later. Oh yeah, exactly. No, I don't want any part of that. Especially living in this town in Nashville where I live. Like I'm, I'm well aware of like people getting paid for their art. So yeah, I, I dodged the bullet there, but I remember like I paid the late adopter tax to a guy on eBay.
0: I was excited by the title, and of course, I was excited by the dude with the headphones on, the thinker with the headphones on, but soundtracks are not about that at all. Let me start with this question. Who is Mike Peasley? Because he's going to factor in, I think, a lot in our discussion today.
4: Yeah, so Mike Peasley um, is a professor here at MTSU. He used to be at the University of Memphis, and we first met probably five years ago. He uh, approached me and said, hey... I'm a researcher. I'd love to take some of your ideas and, and put them through some research, you know, see, see which ones hold up, see which ones could be different. And so he helped me with my book before this one, which is called Finish, and then when I said, hey, I'm thinking about writing a book about overthinking, because I think a lot of people struggle with it, um, he helped me from the get-go. So he's he's been fantastic. He's in Murfreesboro, which is about 45 minutes from Nashville, maybe 50 minutes from Nashville. And the first thing we did, we asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking, and 99.5% of people said yes. Um, what was fascinating, we had probably, I don't know, two or three dozen people who would email us and say... I couldn't finish the survey because I was overthinking it. So I might be an overthinker. And I'd say, yeah, if you can't finish a five or six-question survey, there's a chance you're you're probably overthinking.
0: And was it during that survey too, John, that you found out that most
4: of that overthinking was negativity? Exactly. So people, more than 50%, I think it was 70% around um, – question of do you feel drained people said they felt drained and inadequate and then you know so that's always fun because i can say like anecdotally that like i've never met somebody in this research who struggled with thinking too many compliments like i didn't find a single person who was like i just keep telling myself i'm such a good mom and it's a real hassle like i'm constantly like building myself up with encouraging words and i need to stop that no one ever overthinks compliments and so to have some research to go in fact here's what statistically we found out about and what's fun about that Is like you'll see, like, from a research side, let's just stop on that for a second. You'll see articles that are like half of Democrats, half of Republicans. And like, you go, oh my gosh, like they talk to a million people. And then, like, I saw one of those today and I read the article. They asked, 1,005 people over a two-day period, like a set of questions, and then turn that into half of all Democrats, half of all Republicans. So when I'm able to go, okay, here are 10,000 people, here's, you know, like when you think about research, you always have to go, well, what does that really mean? Like, what did you really do? How does it really help? And so that's what's, that's been, to be honest with you, probably the best evolution of my books is that they're not memoirs where I've had like some ideas and I go like, look at my life. And like every example is my life. I get to come up with a bunch of ideas in this office and then I go, let's see if they work for other people and let's see how they work for other people. And then because I have generous readers, you know, we'll have a thousand people, two thousand people, five thousand people, whatever, work on the ideas for a month and go, yeah, this one didn't work or here's how I'd interpret or here's, you know, you didn't think about this because you're not a stay at home mom or you didn't think about this because you're not a CEO of an international company. And so that allows me to create a better book versus just coming up with an idea and sending it out this book though is still intensely
0: personal. You talk about, it's not about your own experience. I mean, even the, I had to laugh as I opened it up because the, uh, Oh, what the hell is it called? The, the inscription at the beginning of the book, the dedication, oh, yeah. John, you might be overthinking this, yes. the dedication.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which means yeah. that, uh, w- w- which comes from your wife, uh, you might be overthinking yes. this and that's like 13 years old.
4: Yeah, ex- exactly. And so for me, I try to write books where I'm in the same trenches. So I learn something. Here's what I learned, and then okay, how does this help a bunch of people? But no, it starts with me in 2008 learning something about you know, when you change a thought, it can change your actions, and can change your result and end up changing your whole life. I mean, that's why I live in Nashville is I started to deliberately think different about some specific things. And, and 13 years later here, I'm in Nashville. And so, yeah. And, and then somebody, a journalist the other day said, there sure are a lot of failures about you in this book. And I was like, I don't know if I think about them that way. Like, I just think we have such a low bar for nonfiction business books about sharing stories where you don't win that any degree you do, people are like, these are crazy failures. And you go, no, it's just because I didn't do like, I don't like a nonfiction book where it's somebody's like, they act like they're a hundred percent successful or like they, they're, they've they been on a 40 year win streak. I can't relate to that. I just don't think that's real. And so I'd much rather go, here's the thing I tried. This one worked really well. Here's another thing I tried. This did not go well. And and here's what I learned.
0: Well, let's talk about one of those, John. You talk about how thoughts are out of control, right? For most of us, we think we can't control our thoughts at all. You are on a trip to Italy and you're on your way to Florence. Tell us about this, because I think this is a great this is a great kickoff to this whole idea.
4: Yeah, so my wife and I are going to Italy. It's our last trip before we have our first kid. My brother was living in Florence at the time, and about two weeks before, my dad said, hey, if you go the, to the Duomo, which is one of the world's most famous cathedrals, he's like, if you go to the Duomo, that tower is really narrow. Like, you climb up these stairs, it's really narrow. I felt really claustrophobic in there, and that kicked off my overthinking on overdrive. Like I kept thinking over and over and over again, like it's going to feel tight. It's going to feel tight. I know like what's going to happen. So the second my feet hit the stairs, I started to kind of walk around and there's not really windows. So you can't really see that you're making progress. You feel very much like a hamster on like, you know, on a vertical wheel. And so then I just started going faster and faster and faster and faster. And I 100% left my poor six months pregnant wife at the bottom. Like I sprinted to the top burst through the doors on top of the dome that overlooked the city, like Tim, you know, Robbins, the end of Shawshank Redemption. And I was like, taking, I was like, Oh, I made it. And like 20 minutes later, she came up and was like, what was that? And I didn't know it at the time, but that was overthinking. And the story I connect that to the research is, and I think this is one of those like, what moments was NYU did a study where they took two groups of college students and to one, they said, we want you to make some sentences out of this word bank. So they gave them a bunch of words said, make some sentences. The other group, they said the same thing. But in those words were words related to being old. They had hidden some words like retire, bald, Florida. So they make these sentences, these two groups. And they say, hey, the second part of the test is down the hall. We want you to walk there. So while they're walking, the scientists secretly timed them. And the people who had been exposed to old words physically walk slower. Just reading words about being old changed their gait, like changed how they walked. So for me, overthinking for two weeks, this is going to be a terrifyingly claustrophobic moment. Of course, the second I step in that tower, my brain goes, see, see, it is. And I kind of spin. And so that was really the shift for me of if I can worry, I can wonder if you can doubt, you can dominate, if you can spin, you can soar. So if your mind is that powerful, instead of doing what a lot of books tell you, stop overthinking, stop overthinking what if I just thought the right things? Like, why would I ever get rid of this amazing machine I have, which is my ability to think? What if I just fed it with soundtracks that push me forward, not pull me back?
0: But it's not, as you know, that easy. In fact, you say at the end of one chapter, you're like, "There's one solution that can change <laughs> yeah. this all." Then you begin the yeah. next. You begin, I think, chapter three with, "Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great?" If it yeah.
4: Were, if it like no, that? of course, of course not. I mean, it's like anything; it takes work. But I like one of the soundtracks that I tell people is like. Don't give the problem a year and the solution a week. So like when people like take money, take, take anything like you'll meet people who go, man, sticking to a budget just doesn't work for me. Like I can't get out of debt. I'll go, well, how long have you been doing it? And they'll be like 10 days. And I will, how long did it take you to get in debt? And they'll be like 10 years. So you gave the problem a decade to kind of come together. You're giving the solution 10 days. Like that's the wrong way. You should give the solution even more time. So if somebody said to me, I can't write a book. I can't write a book for five years. I tried to write a book for a month and it just didn't work. I'd go, well, yeah, of course not. You sent a baby new soundtrack up against like one that had a like half a decade to become like entrenched and to get repetitive and like gather all this foundation. Yeah. Solid foundation. And then you were like, but I read this one sentence or like, I heard an Eminem song, Mom spaghetti. I'm going to lose myself. And you're like, no. So I'd rather you stack the odds in your favor, give yourself more time. So yeah, I don't, I would never say it's instant. Now I will say this, like, I think there are some things in life where when you get a new perspective, it can change a lot of things. We've all had situations where we thought we knew what was going on and then we find out the detail we didn't have access to and we go, "Oh, I thought that person was mad at me. I had no idea like, how, you know, that they were going through a difficult situation at home." That changes it. So I do believe in the idea that like a single soundtrack, a single bit of information, a single idea, like that's true, can change a perspective in a big life-changing way. But I think, you know, for the most part, it takes work just like anything good. It seems like we try to find more information then instead of getting more down on ourselves. In moments like that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the part of the problem is like your brain isn't always the best for you. Like it it's cognitive bias for instance, it wants to believe things it already believes. So if you believe you're inadequate, it'll find you proof of that to continue that belief. Um, you know, one of the studies I was interesting was in the book is we don't even have an opposite word for trauma in the English language. There's no word that indicates an overwhelming joy that years later comes back and knocks you over in the grocery store. I want that word, all- by the way. I want that word. Right. Yeah, exactly. But like, how often have you remembered something you said that was dumb four years ago and you wince? So, I mean, there's memes on TikTok about like, wincing over and over about remembering something you did. We don't have that same moment where you're like, yeah, I was was in the frozen food aisle. And then all of a sudden, just I was awash in joy about something that happened (laughs) 10 years ago. And I I didn't even want to, but I just was like, I wish that happened. I was telling uh, a guy on our team, Richie on our team, uh, he and I were talking about the fact you and I were going
0: to be talking today. I told him the story of, I remember this bad thing I did 31 years ago where I messed up this dance. I was paying my way through college as a DJ and I knew my speakers weren't working right, John, but I knew that I didn't have any money and I had to go, go show up at this dance, but I had no recourse. So I just, I crossed my fingers, put all my crap in the back of my beat up van, went to this dance and uh, it was this beautiful place. It was a sorority. They had this gorgeous red barn and uh, it was, you know, they all had dates. Everybody's all dressed up. And I went and single-handedly screwed the entire night for everybody because my speakers didn't land. And the other thing that really bothers me about that night is that at the end of the night, when the woman cuts the check and she makes some offhand comment about just how bad I sucked. And I knew I sucked. I still took the money because I didn't have any. And that was
4: 30. That was 31 years ago. And I haven't forgiven myself. Like it's still there, man. And that person's not telling that story. Like when those people get together and they go, man, let's talk about difficult moments. Someone goes, you know what, dude, this is going to sound weird. But 31 years ago, I was at a sorority (laughs) event and this dude, I think his name was Joe. Like I think his name was Joe and he just sucked. Like he sucked at being a DJ. He didn't play brick house enough. You know, like we were so mad, you know, like whatever the, but yeah, like, I mean, I remember, I apologize. This is probably like, I don't know, 15 years ago, I apologized to two people I'd worked with because I just felt like I'd been a jerk. Like I didn't do my best at the job. I, you know, there were so many things I wish I could have changed. And I apologized to my manager and I apologized to my manager's manager. And my manager was like, you know what? Things were crazy there. Like we were all so stressed. Like, no, like she was so gracious. So, and my the manager's manager said, yeah, I don't know what you were doing then. Like, and she like, she railed on me harder and I was like, and the point of a, an apology isn't to make somebody react a certain way. So you have to release that. But like of course I remember that. Like yeah. that I was like, "Hey, I th- I'm apologize for not performing it." And she was like, "Yeah, let me add some additional things that you probably don't even realize you did." And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, "Like body blow, you know?" And so the problem is I can't let that be a soundtrack that prevents me from apologizing the next time because then then I'm if I've listened to that for 14 years, all of a sudden it's changing my apologies in the future. And that's not helpful. You have this term that I think is so important for people to know, which is neoplasticity. Yeah, it's it's something that I mean, the benefit of us, like you and I, is we get to grow up in that age where essentially it's that your brain can change. There used to be this idea that the brain you had was the brain you had, was the brain you had, like. Oh, well, like this is the one you have. Neuroplasticity is you can change your brain, the shape of it, the function of it, new neural pathways, new grooves, everything with the decisions you make, with the thoughts you use, with the way you live your life. So, the plasticity is that wow, the brain is much more changeable than we ever thought possible. The other phrase is neurogenesis, which is this idea that there are new brain cells every morning. Like when you get up tomorrow morning, you will have new brain cells. And it's Dr. Caroline Leaf who writes about this subject really well. She says, they're waiting for you to tell them what to do. Like you've got these new parts of your brain. They're like, hey, tell us what to do. And so knowing that you get to control your brain, that you get to say, okay, if I think a certain way, if I'm repetitive a certain way, if I lean into these certain thoughts, it can physically change my brain is really powerful. And again, it's it's not something we've known forever. A hundred years, you know, you think back to like, what was it? 200 years ago, they drill a hole in your head to release evil spirits if you had a headache. So like when you think about how far we've come to going, wait a second, I think that positive thinking looks like this and it changes your brain or lights up different parts of your brain. What if we tried that? I think it's just fascinating.
0: I, I think it's incredibly fascinating. Whatever we talk to any scientist on the show, uh, which is just a couple of times a year about the brain and what's going on there. Just so amazing. Just, just incredible. I want to Help our listeners for a moment, get rid of some of those old soundtracks. And like many listeners, I'm sure right now are thinking, well, I just switch it off, right? You're talking about neoplasticity. Well, I switch off the switch and that's how I do this. I, I get rid of those. But you know, it's not
4: that easy. And you had a gentleman to kind of bring yeah, this David up. David Thomas. Yeah. In yeah a David Thomas. So, like, to your point about it's not that easy, but sometimes a single idea can change something. This was a single idea that changed something for me. So, I was talking to David Thomas. He's one of the leaders of Daystar, this amazing counseling center in Nashville. And I was talking to him about negative thoughts, internal dialogue, kind of, you know, broken soundtracks, if you will. And he said, John, the problem is people want there to be a switch. They want to find one thing that's a switch and they turn it off and it's turned off forever. So that could be they want to do yoga. Like yoga will be the switch or I'm going to drink a gallon of water a day or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, you know, practice mindfulness. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do whatever and they have a switch mentality and the switch works temporarily. It always only works temporarily. So maybe it works for a week. Maybe it works for a month. But then life is chaotic. Life is stressful. Life is challenging. There's no one coming out of 2020 that could be like, no, I control everything. Like I have like, like no one should have any illusion that you control very few things in your life. Um, you definitely control your thoughts, but you don't control the economy. I mean, I'm a public speaker in March of 2020. Every event I had got either canceled or postponed, um, gone. There was no degree of hustle that could change that. You don't control that. When you think through that, you're able to go, okay, instead of a switch, it's a dial life gets loud and the dial gets turned up to 10 or 11. If you're a spinal tap fan and then you have to go, okay, wow, it's loud right now. What are the things I'm going to do to turn it back down? Wow, I notice my dial is at 7. I know it's going to a 9. How do I turn it down? And where it gets fun is when you're able to see that in the future. So, for instance... I say in the book that even my h- highest performing friends who lay out their clothes the night before they go to the gym because they know it means they'll go, nobody lays out their thoughts before an important meeting. Very few people go, I've got a big negotiation next Thursday. Here's the three thoughts that I want to have playing in my head. I'm not just going to wait for whatever thoughts scamper in. These are the thoughts I'm going to have. These are the ones I'm going to bring. These are the soundtracks to ensure the meeting is going well. And that turns down moments before they even get loud. You know, that turns up So for me, an example of that, I've been taken advantage of in business situations. Like I've had people steal money, steal pieces of the company. Just I've had things not go well. Anyone who's in business has had things not go well, and it'd be easy for me to have a soundtrack that says everybody is trying to take your money, or everybody is looking for an edge, everybody is going to take advantage of you unless you're like vigilant. And then I go into a meeting with that soundtrack on loop. And I miss opportunities and I shut things down. I come off as defensive versus going, oh, yeah, I recognize that that did happen. I'm not going to lie that it like I should admit it happened. Yeah, but I'm not going to let that determine what happens in the next meeting. I mean, I, I talked to somebody who said 12 years ago, I was fired at a job. And to this day, every time I see a door close on a meeting that I wasn't invited to, I get worried that I'm going to get fired 12 years later. And you think about, like, I always say overthinking steals time, creativity, and productivity. There's an easy example. Let's say he spends 10 minutes every time he sees the doors close at work worrying that he's going to get fired. Multiply that out by 12 years. Do you know the hours and hours and hours and hours that have gone to that broken soundtrack so much? you know what he could have done? with all that time, like, that's really fascinating. How about the woman who changed it around? What was her name? Caroline, Catherine, she, Colleen, um, Colleen, Colleen man, Barry. I, yeah. I, I, I circled that name. I was, Dude, I was, was all so over good. it, but I didn't get it. Yeah. But she's got a so great good. story. I essentially asked people in my audience, hey, I'm working on this idea. Have you ever changed your life by changing a thought? You know, I was curious what people would say. And Colleen raised her hand. and was like, oh, 100%. And so her story, she's a documentary filmmaker Um, in Boston, like showed films at Con, like very successful. Dot com bust happens in 2001. She loses her job. I lost my job at the same time in the same city. And she had to get four different jobs to kind of recreate the salary of the one. And one of them was to be a receptionist at a real estate office. She could have gone down the path of resignation. Oh, well, this is, it just is what it is. Blame. This is the economy's fault. Fear. What if I lose this job? Entitlement. I shouldn't have to answer phones. But instead she was like, I'm going to make a new path. I'm going to choose to make a new path. I'm going to choose the thoughts I have. I'm going to choose my approach to it. And so she decided something really easy. She just said, I'm going to become the best customer service they've ever experienced, even in this tiny little receptionist's office. So she did that, and she found somebody who got her um, a coffee machine. So she started to make espressos for people. I love and this. And over... Yeah. And over the years, like as she, she just kind of kept going, I'm writing new soundtracks. Okay. These are, these are business partners. These aren't, you know, coworkers, these are business partners. I want to help them grow their business. And over the next 15 years, she became CEO. I love telling that story. And I, I've actually interviewed her for my podcast. I have this podcast called All It Takes is a Goal because like she's a living, breathing goal machine. Like she's the kind of person that's like, well, I went to the library and I got a library card MBA. And you'll go, what do you mean? She's like, I read 100 books. I would find like the 10 that everybody had to read for business and then they would recommend books and I just kept reading. And here's that. like, she's just so fascinating. But yeah, and I love her story because it's not instant. Nobody goes from being lobby barista to CEO. She kept working her way up. And she kept going like, yeah, then I got this soundtrack that was broken. It was in the way. And she said like, and everybody was frustrated. Nobody wanted to do what I was doing, but like I wanted to build a path. And so I, yeah, she's just a blast. Well, just dialing up, right. I think about just dialing up where she's at. You have
0: 50 and I want to leave on this note. We've got 50 ideas for helping people change the dial. I think we probably have time, John, for maybe your favorite three.
4: <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So, yeah. so what do you think are three good ways uh, to change the dial? Well, I mean, I think one um, is pen and a piece of paper. And I don't mean you have to be a writer. Like whenever I say something like that, I need—I want to admit like I'm a writer. That might not be your first thing. Um, but I think some way to take all the thoughts you have and put them on a piece of paper, not perfectly, not, you know, maybe the spelling's all jacked up. Just some way that you could say, okay, hey, I'm going to write down a couple of thoughts I have. I'll write down a couple of questions I have. So I think, I think that writing is a great way to turn down the dial. Is this the just like a one- friend? Of,
0: is this like a friend of mine said, who's also a writer, said, just puke it out. I mean, it's kind of gross, exactly, but just puke exactly. it out. Exactly.
4: Some people call it morning pages. Yeah. But yeah, for me, just being able to write down a couple things. Another one is I always tell people like physical activity, like go get some endorphins and pick the way that's the most fun to you. We tend to think that working out has to suck to count. Like we did this study um, with my book, Finish, and people tend to think if the workout is fun, it doesn't count. So they'll go, oh, I'm going to run. I'll go, you like running? They go, no, I hate running. That's how I know it's good for me. Like then you shouldn't run. Mm -hmm. I was briefly a um, cyclist and I turned out I hate cycling. So I got rid of my, some other people love it. So I'd say find a little bit of exercise that you, that you actually enjoy. And then like, I like the, I like a hobby. Like I asked, it was interesting. I asked this other uh, speaker, I was like, Hey, why do successful people fail? And he was like, well, I've studied it and there's two things they always have in common. They're isolated. They don't have community and they don't have a life giving hobby. And I thought that second one was really interesting. So I always tell people like have a life giving hobby. It could be anything, you know, it could be bird watching, Like, Birds saved me in 2020. We got a little bird feeder that attaches to the window outside. And like, I loved watching birds. I don't know that I'm ready to have a vest with a lot of pockets yet. And like, but not like a variety of binoculars, but I'm on my way. It's a slippery, um, but one for me is, slippery slope. It is. It is, dude. I know I'm like real close to having a derby hat and being like, <laughs> well, I'd love to do that podcast, Joe, but the, the wood marshes are on the migration <laughs> path and I'll be in Delaware that weekend. Unfortunately, I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. But the one that like, I love doing Lego sets. Like, I realize that, like, there's few things in my life that have clear instructions, like be a writer, be a podcaster, be an author, whatever. There's no clear instructions, but like a Lego set that's like, it's a Porsche 911 and it's got 3,000 pieces. And like, for me, that's that kind of helps turn off the soundtrack. So I'm able to just kind of focus in on that. And that's probably my dorkiest one, Um, but it's one that I've really enjoyed. Yeah. But the truth around a hobby, you know, you hear one person tell you something and, you know, maybe
0: it's their thing. You hear many people tell you, and there's this truth. Hugh Jackman talks about doing 500 piece puzzles. Austin Kleon talks about, everybody says we need to monetize everything in our life. If you make great cupcakes, cause you like bacon, turning that into a monetization scheme is not going to be good.
4: It ruins it. It ruins it. Somebody asked me cause my, I, I sincerely believe you should have a hobby. And they said, well, what if your hobby is music and you're a paid musician? I said, it's not your hobby. Like writing is no longer a hobby. I write books. I write content. Like that's not a hobby. So like scribbling something down and capturing it so the thought isn't in my head and massive and I can see it small on paper, that's different. But no, I I will never, I will never have a YouTube channel focused on Legos because the minute I have to try to build an audience, it'll completely change. Like I'll never live stream me building them. I'll never like, no, because it would just ruin all. It would completely change the joy I was getting out of it. We always get the scoop here on Stacking Benjamins. You will never,
0: people, get a Lego book from John A. Yeah, Cuff. if you're
4: asking, you, stop asking. I mean, I know, I know a lot of your listeners right now, Joe, are like, yeah, but will he give us a Lego book? And the answer is no. The when, answer is no. When is the Lego Death Stars coming? Never. Never, never. Yeah, never. I mean, I'm going to enjoy it. I have a shelf of them. Like, I don't think people will be able to see, but like, there's a shelf right there of Lego sets. And like, if you ever see me, like sign up for my Lego building webinar, and then like, I'm pitching you a Lego building course. Like, no, my wife we will have an intervention as a family long before that. You got the whole funnel. Can you imagine the Lego funnel? Oh, the leg. Yeah. The bottom end of it is somehow I've convinced you to pay me money for Legos. Like, no, dude, like it's no, that's not. Oh my, then I have to be a Lego. No, I will say this, Joe, that said, if I was able to somehow get famous enough that Lego sent me Legos, I'd be okay with that. That'd be great. I'm gonna, I like if Lego, if whoever at at Lego is like, he's got a great Instagram account, we should mail him Legos. I would a (laughs) billion percent receive those Legos with an open heart. I would.
0: Well, there you go. Lego. That's the second one. Lego people, if you're listening, we we got it from John right there. The book is called Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. I'm assuming, man, it's
4: available everywhere. It's available everywhere. And if you're like, ah, oh, I want to check out the first chapter, soundtracksbook.com. Awesome. So you can download the first chapter for free, soundtracks within us book.com. Well, link
0: to it is always on our show notes page at StackyBedgemans.com.
4: John, thanks
0: for hanging out with us again, man. I really appreciate it.
4: Yeah. Thanks for having me, dude.
1: Hey, Stackers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, a guy who would never, under any circumstances, overthink anything. It reminds me of that time a few days ago when Joe's mom totally overthought folding the laundry. I just told her, look, don't overthink it. It's just laundry. All you have to do is fold the right arm in first, never the left. That'd be crazy. So right, R, then left. And then you give it a, a little bit of this up action here and then over again, and but, but not below this part right here. And then, but th- there you have it, the perfectly folded shirt and not at all overthought. And the way she was folding socks, I mean, that's a lesson in overthinking right there. If she'd fold them over twice instead of once and then just, uh, just a, about like an eighth of an inch above the ankle, she'd get much better than she did with towels. Uh, Before I start overthinking folding laundry myself, let's get you to today's trivia. Did you know today is National Beer Day? Why didn't we talk about that? Who doesn't love beer? So here we go. What is the top-selling beer in the U.S.? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can crack open a cold one, if you're at least 21, that is, and you're not driving. Just don't, don't overthink it. Just crack open a
0: cold one. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads after trying out Monarch myself. I totally get why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30 day free trial to try it out. Like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30 day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M O N A R C H M O N E Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30 day free trial.
1: stackers i'm your pal joe's mom's neighbor doug and all this avoiding overthinking has had the same effect i get when i avoid washing windows or doing my taxes i'm starving maybe after we finish i'll head down to the sandwich shop and grab a sub speaking of which anybody overthink their sub sandwich order okay yeah maybe i'm a little guilty of this one but they totally bring it on first they ask you for the bread what's the best bread malted rye italian urban cheese wheat uh, uh 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 rosemary parmesan that's a pretty darn good bread or, or but wheat bread no wheat bread's gross maybe a wrap oh man maybe a wrap they can wrap that wheat bread up and throw it away you <laughs> know what i mean <laughs> and then these people ask you about toppings i mean who can choose mustard i don't know olives probably not but on the right day i mean you know maybe. i'm, I'm Came for anything, but lettuce only if I'm getting tomato, but how do the tomatoes look? I mean, you got to inspect those things. If they're all floppy and watery, I mean, that's no good. Well, at least I overthink the important stuff, maybe. Hey, before I totally overthink today's lunch, let's get back to your trivia answer. The question was, what is the top selling beer in the US? Well, you know, I'm not going to give you the answer right away. I got to give you the whole countdown. So at number three, with a 6% market share, it's Miller Lite. At number two, with a 6.8% market share, it's Coors Light. And the Big Pappy, it's the beer that's like water and hops in a can. Bud Light scores at 13.2% market share. Okay, time for me to work out the condiments on this sandwich. See ya! I always find it funny when you
0: hear beer statistics that, uh, that everybody's comfortable drinking beer with like the mother of sugars in beer but but I'll have the light beer. You think we're all fooling ourselves to some degree. Less
2: filling. Less filling.
0: Yeah, I I drank 12 of them but they were light beers. Yeah. And then because I drank 12, I ate like six plates of nachos.
2: I had to have two cheeseburgers <laughs> to wash them down with.
0: Cuz I was craving some food after all that. Thanks to John Acuff for stopping by, for hanging out. And uh, OG almost got our trivia right as well. Bud Decisiveness.
2: Wise. Oh, sorry. we just changing gears. Back to beer.
0: Yes, let's talk about beer.
2: I thought we were going to like talk about the important stuff. And you're like, we are talking about the important stuff. Yeah, and
0: I, th- I think Acuff nailed it. I mean, obviously, overthinking things and having a better soundtrack in your head is key to success.
2: Decisiveness. Get
0: to it. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first. Is it your Budweiser and your nachos, OG?
2: Exactly. I don't, I'm not a big nachos fan. I'll be honest. Oh. Yeah. I can do chips and guac. Like chips and guac until I pass yeah. out.
0: Guac? You know, I only like guacamole if it's freshly made, like at my table.
2: Well, how else do you have guacamole?
0: You know, when they bring over, like, the guacamole on the side with your taco, and it's that little clump that they took, like, an ice cream scoop and popped it out on there, I'm like,
2: yeah, I'm not touching that. Are you even Texan? What is wrong with you? Like, you yeah. have to have, like, the avocado shucked in front of you? I do. Yeah, with the
0: two forks. Like, some, some uh, you know, somebody... It's
2: like a hibachi grill, but only for guacamole.
0: Yeah, somebody that works at El Chico serving me up some... Uh,
2: slicing up the tomatoes and the red onions for the,
0: I got to tell you, there was a place in Tucson when Cheryl and I was there, there was a woman with a cart and she had a, uh, you remember the old like uh mountain Jack's restaurants used to do this. They had the cart with the salad. They'd ask you, they bring it around. They'd ask you what you want your salad and they would toss it right in front of you. Same thing, <laughs> same thing, but with guacamole and salsa.
2: There's a number of places around here that do that, but I, I think you should expand your horizons and allow them to also make the guacamole in the kitchen as opposed to like right in front of you. I assure you it's With got the ice the same, cream
3: scoop? It
2: has the same caliber. It came off of, of your
0: plate and went onto mine. Like when you didn't This eat isn't
2: it? this isn't Zender's.
0: <laughs> it's a little close to home. Maybe a lot of people don't don't know that uh what the hell are we even talking about?
2: That's okay. That's all right. Some do. And they're like, wait, what? Huh? I huh? did that with the chicken?
0: Huh? You kidding me?
2: Yeah. First hand knowledge. Oh, Mama Zender, and they're going, we're not going to throw that away. They can eat it. Uh, gross. That's so gross. But it was I will, a long time ago.
0: But I will still eat it. I will still. Of course eat
2: you it. would. And the buttered noodles? Yes. It's, oh, delicious.
0: Enough inside baseball there about restaurants in Michigan. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first, your loved ones and your time, maybe with some buttered noodles or some uh, guacamole that's been around the bend. That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple so that you can spend more time on that stuff. Head to stackbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. I just realized that we might have taken a little more time. On that discussion. You and I getting off track. That never happens. Uh, today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to Sean. Sean's got a great question, OG. He says, love the pod. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Sean. Have you guys ever had Funrise as a sponsor or discuss them on the show? I'm looking into their service and was wondering if you have any thoughts. <laughs> Sit back, Sean. Who's because uh, here's the deal. So Fundrise, for people that don't know what it is, is a spot where you put money in like you would a real estate uh, investment trust, a REIT, but your money goes into buying some property, then you get an interest rate from that property. So you'll get X amount of money uh, per month. They advertise all over the place. We have been approached by Fundrise. We said no thank you to Fundrise, and it's mostly because of the fact that and they don't do this anymore. So I want to be clear. Yeah, I was going to say I
2: just pulled up the website to see, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't have the big mountain chart on page right. one.
0: Their advertising for a long time was so deceptive. I don't know a lot about the inner workings of Fundrise. I do know people that ha- have said at least you know, as much as people on the internet are truthful, who knows that the interest rate they thought they were going to get from Fundrise and the interest rate they receive are two different things. And actually the interest rate they got somewhere in the five, 6% range, pretty decent. That's kind of what I would expect from that type of an investment. But for a long time, Sean, that was not what they were peddling. And we'll tell you two things. OG's talking about a mountain chart they they used to have a chart on the front page, and if a mutual fund did this, the Securities and Exchange Commission would have been all over them because it showed if they continued doing what either they'd done in the past or they said, it was never really clear to me what they said they were going to do, just how much money you would make with them, which was the high mountain versus the much lower mountain you would get doing traditional real estate investments. That was always frustrating for me. Anything that shows forward looking results is deceptive. While you can do that. I don't think that you should ever look at a graph showing future results with any investment. And I love the phrase OG, anything that starts with returns instead of process You know, if an investment explains the process and what they do and how they do it, I like that. Anything that starts with, bam, we're going to give you the monster return. Don't like that at all.
2: Yeah. And that was a big thing early on. Uh, Like you said, they don't do that anymore. I I honestly haven't looked at Fundrise in a long, long time. It looks like they've completely changed their whole program just doing a quick review of the website. That doesn't mean that, you know, we've. Yeah, I just won't.
0: I just won't go back.
3: You do that. Yeah, you do that stuff. Like once, you,
2: once you burn me. Yeah. I feel the same way, but here's the problem with any sort of non-traded product and whether it's fundraise or a bigger REIT that's being pitched by uh, financial, you know, of sales brokers, you know, whatever, you're really giving up a lot of liquidity for potential and, you can have the same outcome as it relates to your your asset allocation. Because you start from that. You start from, is it beneficial to have real estate in my asset allocation? Probably the answer is yes. And then you have to decide how to get it. And there's so many different ways to get it. You can go buy your own rental property, right? You can buy an apartment building. You can buy a duplex and live in half. You can buy a triplex and live in a third. right? I mean, there's lots of different ways. Or you can get a publicly traded REIT. You can just go buy a REIT index fund from Vanguard or BlackRock or, or Fidelity or whomever. Or you can have a non-traded product, uh, which is something like Fundrise or something else that might be sold. And all of them have their pros and cons. Obviously, if you have your own apartment building, super illiquid, but you're in control of it, way in control. You can pick the tenants, you can pick the rent, you can pick the upgrades that you want to do, all that sort of stuff. If you have a publicly traded REIT, if you buy a REIT fund, you have tons of liquidity. You can buy and sell it 32 times in one day if you want, um, but you don't get to choose which which apartment buildings they put in that property. You don't get to go negotiate the deals, so you're paying. You know, you're 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 losing a little bit of selectivity with that, but you gain diversification. So there's pros and cons. The problem that I have with non-traded products in general, whether it's REITs and there's also all sorts of other ones is that you don't get a big enough bang for your buck for the risk that you're taking of I can't get out of it. You know, if you want the REIT exposure, if you want real estate exposure for your portfolio, I just don't understand why you wouldn't just go buy a real estate investment trust, publicly traded, you know, you're going to get a 4 or 4.5% dividend probably uh, which you'll have on dividend reinvest anyway, but that's going to be your cash that comes in uh, if you're looking for for income um, and you benefit from the expertise of the smart people at a, this huge organization, BlackRock or Fidelity whomever, who, who that's their only job is to go find the stuff that goes in there and to manage it well. So see
0: the lack of liquidity doesn't bother me as much as it does you. If I know what I'm getting into and I know what the game is and the approach about how it's being sold to me is forthright. So, I mean, people know how much I like farmland investing as an example, Well, that's locked up. I do get to choose my farm that I want to invest in. If I go with a acre trader or with a farm together, I get to choose that. But my money's tied up there. I could go with a liquid REIT. There's liquid farm REITs as well. And to your point, I can invest that way. I actually don't have have a problem. And I get that maybe there should be a risk premium because I'm being asked to lock money up where with the liquid REIT, I'm not being asked to do that. But I still don't have, I don't have an issue if it's straightforwardly presented to me. Which brings up my other problem with Fundrise. They also had a line that said, do you remember this, this line? Engineered for superior growth. Yes. And they said that Fundrise is the first real estate. I think this was the whole line. Fundrise is the, is the first real estate investment engineered for superior growth. And I thought, well, real estate has been traded forever right? I mean, how ancient civilizations, weren't they like buying and selling real estate from each other? I think they were. I mean, real estate's been sold forever. And Fundrise is the first one that's quote engineered. So everybody that came before you in this huge asset class didn't know what the hell they were doing. And you knew exactly what you were doing. So I don't know. I don't know a lot, Sean, about the guts. OG, do you know much about the guts of Fundrise?
2: No, because they've changed it. It's a little different than it was before. We just said, no, thanks. Yeah, not, not a story that made sense to me.
0: Yeah, as as mom said, plenty of fish in the sea. <laughs> and, and so we don't, uh, we just didn't need to. So that's our, our Fundrise story. Thanks for the question, Sean. You got a question for us, head to com forward slash voicemail. And if you leave us a voicemail, Sean wrote us a letter, but if you leave us a voicemail, uh, our friend Gertrude, mom's, Poker buddy, we'll send you some swag for calling in. Thanks to everybody here at the end of the show for spending time with us. We know that got a lot of stuff going on and we're so pleased that you choose to spend your time hanging out with OG, Doug, and today, John Acoff and John Boroff. If you want to have more fun with our community, we have a couple ways you can do that. Number one, our Facebook group, The Basement which may hold the record for most uh, dad jokes per person in a financial Facebook group, but also some wise people hanging out there. So if, if you like your financial chats with like-minded individuals, a little lighter, pretty fun. Join us at the basement. Also, if you'd like guides for your Monday and Wednesday shows, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. And not only will you get an email, Late the night before, every single Monday and Wednesday episode, you'll also get uh, money lessons from me. And that's stackingbegments.com forward slash stacker. Finally, if you're here because you're not sure how to make better decisions and you feel like you need smarter people in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients and head to stackingbegments.com forward slash OG and that will lead to their calendar and then a meeting with them to see how they can interface with you to make better financial decisions in the future. All right. That's going to do it for us. O G, Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today?
1: So what should we have learned today? Wow. Let me, let me think about that actually for it. Cause then there was all the, and then there were a lot of words and then the blah, blah, and then there were numbers some calculations, and then there's the motivational part. I got, let me think. Okay, well, hey, how about this? First, take a lesson from our headline. When you get a windfall of cash, like a stimulus check, use that as an opportunity to get ahead on your financial goals, which means you should start with, what do I really want? Second, take a lesson from John Acuff. The solution to overthinking isn't to stop thinking. The solution is running our brains with better soundtracks. Once we learn how to choose our soundtracks, thoughts become our best friends, propelling us toward our goals. But the big lesson: don't debate breads with the sandwich artist at Subway. That guy thinks wheat is just fine. Are you kidding me? Wheat Asiago, Asiago is way better. Wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. Maybe I should take this back and go with the rye. Oh my God, there's so many choices. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can always head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. To learn more about John Acuff and how overthinking is costing you, head over to acuff.me, that's A-C-U-F-F.me, or check out his new book, Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking Wherever Books Are Sold.
0: And hey, Doc, I got to butt in here for a second, but also big thanks to Doc G from the Earn and Invest Podcast. You'll find Doc uh, wherever you're listening to our podcast today at the Earn and Invest Podcast. Give it a listen.
1: This show is created by Joe Seahi, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online. Visit us on Twitter, at SBenjamin'sCast, or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you'd take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
0: I love the start of baseball season.
2: What's your walk-up song? (laughs) I haven't even thought of that. What's yours? Some Bieber? Probably. My walk-up song.
0: I'm not sure, but I'll tell you what would be funny is if it were like some Barry Manilow. I think it'd be funny maybe like Flight of the Bumblebee, Sugar Plum Fairy, some opera you know i think that would be good it wouldn't be opening day by the way it wouldn't be uh the first week of baseball without some absolutely uh fun stuff here's the los angeles dodgers at the colorado rockies and the dodgers hit their first home run of the season listen to this
2: bellinger hits a high fly ball left center field back towards the wall and it just over the wall. A two-run home run. Tapia might have gotten a piece, but it still escaped the yard. What is Bellinger waiting on? All kinds of confusion going here. And you now the umpires are coming together to discuss it. Dave Roberts is coming out of the dugout. There's I wonder deep. if
1: Cody crossed... Justin Turner. If that happens, yep, the runner did. that does the passing is out. So yep. Bellinger's going to be out. From that point, the play
2: continues. Wow. In and out of his glove. And then Bellinger passes Turner on the bases. So Bellinger's going to be the second out of the inning. Turner will be where...
4: The
0: dude on second base thought the ball was caught. So he ran back to first base, and the dude who hit it, Bellinger, who knew it was a home run, passed him on the base path... That's an out.
2: Yeah, so I, I saw that news. It was a uh, home run fly out RBI. Right, <laughs> just
0: makes your head hurt. Makes your head hurt. It's a home run.
2: Until... Hit a home run, but I was called out.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's something that would happen in the basement. Like, uh, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Happens every
2: week. I hit a home run, head... but I was still out.
0: <laughs> the second headline passed the first headline on the base pass and uh, another out.